um, looking at and talking about unity, uh, unity in the vineyard movement as the first priority of Phil Stroke's vision for the vineyard as he takes over the reins as national director of the movement, but also uh, the idea of unity amongst ourselves here at Lakes Region Vineyard Church as part of that greater vineyard movement. Uh, we've found our New Testament biblical context uh, within the framework of being in one accord, as revealed throughout the book of Acts. And we as a community have committed to pursue uh, the place of unity by asking God's help. You remember we prayed together a couple of weeks ago at the end of the word, and uh, then we followed up last week with our first unity tool, uh, commitment to be praying twice a day. How many of you have been actually doing that? Good. Do you find that helpful? You, do you find it adds any dynamic to your day-to-day -day life, family life, any of that? Oh, good, good. That's a good thing, huh? <laughs> it's better than getting crushed under a rock and smothering until you can't dig yourself out. <laughs> you know, fall on the rock or he'll fall on you. Well, again, I want to share with you some of the confirmations that I've, been, I've had regarding the timing of this pursuit of unity. Uh, I do this because I, I think it's encouraging to know that we're part of something bigger than ourselves, don't you? You think that's, that's good to know? No. Well, anyway, all the way from New Zealand, uh, Tina Salisbury posted on Facebook last Monday morning, uh, Imagine what God could do if we would all lay down our own agendas and pick up his together. Right? I mean, that, just that added extra word, together, was the confirmation. Because you could, you could say that, you know, put aside your own agenda and, you know, just connect with God and do his agenda. And that could be a personal word. But to add that dynamic of if we all did it together. You know, and that's, that's the idea of unity. That's the idea of one accord. Any one or other of us can, can do that, but when we all do it, I mean, the increase of, of power and effectiveness, you know, is just off the charts. And then I get a call from Eric at like, I don't even think it was 8 o'clock yet. And um, he had just downloaded Rich Nathan's Sunday sermon from the day before out of Columbus, Ohio. He was driving to a job site and wanted to listen to it. And lo and behold, the title and theme of the word is The Spirit of Unity. So he's tracking along the same, the same line. And then um, just Friday, uh, I noticed someone posted that Phil Stroud had put a new video message on his personal blog, which I try to keep up with. And uh, in that blog... He was just sharing for about, about 12 minutes about his personal daily prayer life and the specific things that he asked the Father to invest in him. Now, his, his three points, and one of them is new, is he always asked the Lord for wisdom. I mean, he's taking over a worldwide movement of churches, so you know, he's, of course, praying for wisdom. He's praying for courage. You know, you really need courage sometimes to walk in the things that you have to walk in. And he said, uh, just as of late, he's added a third 
dimension to that, and that is kindness. Because you can have wisdom and you can have kindness and you can beat the tar out of people with it. You know, so he said he had a, an incident. He, he confessed this. He had an incident and uh, he didn't agree with the person and expressed his disagreement. And by the time the words said, you know, he's trying to pull him back into his why did I say that, you know, he understood, you know, he had the wisdom, he had the understanding, he had the knowledge, he had all of that, but he wasn't kind, and so anything he had expressed lost its value, you know, so, so I thought that was interesting as we had connected to a day-to-day prayer routine and, and asking the Lord for very specific elements of unity, here's this Man in, in leadership, you know, he does the same thing day to day. So the bottom line is we're not in this thing alone. You know, we are united in unity with and one accord with other believers all over the world. I mean, so it's a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but for me, I mean, that's just really exciting. Really exciting to, uh, to be in something that God is pushing you know, it's his agenda. We've been, we've been at this stuff a long time and done a lot on our own strength and tried good ideas and bad ideas and <laughs> let's try his idea, you know. <laughs> so another element of unity, uh, an element that I think is often overlooked or at least not adequately considered, uh, is the idea of story. How many of you know your family story? I know um, my family story. I, I know my personal story. You know, I know my parents' story fairly well. I'm sure there are some things that they left out. <laughs> you know, I know little bits and pieces about my grandparents um, on all sides, and I, ha- I have to include my stepdad because most of my life was lived with his family. So, you know, there's some stuff there. And uh, so I know a little bit about my g- grandparents. And I have my great, my father's great grandfather. I know he was a rum runner out of Arishet, Nova Scotia. You know, fits right into the family DNA, you know. <laughs> <laughs> And then I've got this big leap back to the 1600s. I found about, about this guy, uh, Pierre Mellacroix. And Pierre was a, uh, a monk at Notre Dame in, in Paris. And I don't know a thing about his life. I just know that he's connected to my family line, and he was a monk. And so that's about all I know about my family story, you know. And... Uh, So for the most part, when people ask me for my story, I give them my personal history, or at most, my recent past, you know, some stuff about my parents, maybe. And I think the same thing has happened in the church. We have failed to learn the big family story. So when asked, we either give our personal salvation story, our testimony, right, or we share our denominational story. We tell about our own church experience or our recent past history. 
And so to the outside world, the church is a hodgepodge of stories, of stories and beliefs and denominations that not only stand in opposition to the world around them, but quite often in opposition to one another. A divided house that increasingly becomes less and less relevant to those who are perishing rather than a united family moved by the love of God to redeem and restore that which is lost. As a born-again believer, you are part of the family of God. I'm part of the family of God. Do you know the family story? Can you accurately and fully share the family story with others, or is it just your own story and a piece of the recent past? Because the whole story is huge. An excerpt from an email I received this week uh, touches on the scope of the story. This um, was actually an invitation to a prayer meeting down in Cape Cod, uh, taking place March 28th, between 6.30 and 8 o'clock p.m. He says this, What distinguishes us as God's people is not merely our beliefs, our creed, our values, or our worldview, but we are distinguished by the manifest presence of God among us. The concept of the manifest presence of God is well articulated in to- by Toza in his book, The Pursuit of God. If God is present at every point in space, if we cannot go where he is not, cannot even conceive of a place where he is not, why then has not the presence become the one universally celebrated fact of the world? The patriot Jacob, in the waste-howling wilderness, gave the answer to that question. He saw a vision of God and cried out in wonder, Surely! The Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Jacob had never been for one small division of a moment outside the circle of that all-pervading presence, but he knew it not. That was his trouble, and it is ours. Men do not know that God is here. What a difference it would make if they knew. That is precisely the point, the underlying and overriding message of Jesus as revealed in the gospel accounts. God is here. God is here among you. But more than that, he is coming to be king. Remember the Lord's Prayer? You've been praying it each morning, right? Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The good news that Jesus was proclaiming was not a personal salvation message. Hate to bust your evangelical bubble. The message was contained within it. It was not just a personal testimony of Jesus, hey, don't you know that I'm God? That always had to come by revelation. 
It was not the short story of God's involvement with the history of the Jewish people and the nation of Israel, although they became the opening pages of the largest story. No, the good news, the gospel message that Jesus proclaimed was that God was coming to be king. And the first century Jew understood exactly what that meant in its final impact. All things would be restored, but totally missed how it would be implemented because it would cost the king his life. Listen to Jesus' proclamation in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's proclaiming the gospel of God. Here's the gospel message Jesus proclaimed. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. What's that mean? The king's coming. The king is coming. Wherever the king is, there's the kingdom. How often do you read a similar announcement in the Gospels? How often do you read that? In the King James Version of the New Testament, I counted 33 direct references to the kingdom of heaven and 76 direct references to the kingdom of God. That does not include inferred references such as, let your kingdom come. It's a major theme. No, more precisely, it is the theme, the theme of Jesus' gospel message. The gospel of God, the good news of Jesus Christ is God will be king. But I want you to note that it was also constantly being recognized and proclaimed by those who personally encountered Jesus. And the positive encounters always produce great expectations that God was about to move. And I specify positive encounters because there were a lot of negative encounters where he was recognized as king. When they scourged him and they mocked him, they put a crown of thorns and a purple robe on him. What did they say? Hail, king of the Jews. There's a negative recognition of who he was. The king was there. When they nailed him to the tree, what was the sign put at the top of the cross? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, the king had come. Negative recognition, but nonetheless, the proclamation, the gospel good news was going out. But whenever it was a positive recognition, there was power involved. In John 1, 47, 50, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. You are Messiah. You are the king of Israel, the gospel, was proclaimed. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. So what did it mean to a first century Jew that the king had come? What were they expecting? Here are some quotes just from the prophet Isaiah. 
And there are many others in the Old Testament. Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. I mean, hey, there's good news. (laughs) You know, just take that in, in capsule form twice a day and your life improves, right? On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Wow. Wow. What a message. Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. You seen crocus lately? I mean, one week of warm, right? And we've got crocus popping up all over the place. It doesn't take a lot of presence of the sun before crocus respond. And he utilizes that in this word. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who are of an anxious heart, be strong and, be strong and what, Katrina? Be strong and fear not. Didn't we get that message from the Lord this morning in song? Be strong, fear not. The king is coming. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And this is what's going to happen. This is going to be the fruit of it. And and won't you recognize this in the ministry of Jesus? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. The waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there. It shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It it shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Wow. (laughs) The king is coming. This is the gospel of God. Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, 
Their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full, now listen to this, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Wow. Wow. It's just one prophet. A couple of passages. This was the first century Jewish expectation of the coming of the king. And it meant that divine rule would be established. All of Israel's enemies would be vanquished. Justice and righteousness would be ministered equitably to all. Joseph Coney would be arrested. All of the children would be set free and reunited with their parents. That That would be what the king would do. Their borders would expand as the nations yielded to the rule of the king. The people of God would prosper in productivity, in wealth and in well-being of body, soul, and spirit, and there would be lasting peace on the earth among men and with the rest of creation. The Jews saw all of that in the promise of the coming Messiah, but they never saw the atonement and personal salvation aspect of the work of Christ because they had the temple and the sacrificial system as a means of forgiveness for their sin. But Jesus is the larger story and provides for both. Listen to the angelic declaration to Mary in Luke 1, 32 and 33. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and and of his kingdom there shall be no end. So there's the whole kingdom aspect, the whole expectation of the, the nation of Israel. Now listen to what the angel says to Joseph. He said, he's referring to Mary, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus is the whole story. He's the big story. It isn't just that he saved you from your sin. It isn't just that. He saved you from your sin for a purpose. So in one short lifetime, 33 and a half years, lived in obedience to God, the king The faithful son is seated on the throne of his father forever, and the temporal short story of a nation becomes the eternal story of God, redeeming humanity and restoring all things to himself. Paul gives us the concise conclusion in 1 Corinthians 15, 19-28. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. (laughs) I love this guy. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, 
by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom, when he delivers the kingdom, when he delivers the kingdom to God. You're hearing this gospel message? It's the large story. We're part of a big story. It isn't just that when the end comes, then you get to go to heaven. It's a whole kingdom. After destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. That's Jesus' feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is expected who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. One kingdom. In closing... For the most part, the church has come up with a short story. It's all its own, and it has divided us into denominations as surely as Israel was divided into tribes. Our short story, pray the sinner's prayer. Invite Christ into your heart as your personal Savior. Whenever you can, share your personal testimony. Invite people to church. Then hang on for all you're worth until you die or the trumpet sounds and you get raptured. Then you get a really good meal at a marriage supper of the Lamb, and you all kind of float around uh, with those from your own denomination in heaven for the rest of eternity, right? And don't ex- Don't expect those Pentecostals to be there. (laughs) Those tongue talkers, you know. (laughs) I'll get to float around in the great by and by. Tickets, please. Tickets. All aboard. Last train to heaven. Boarding now at your local evangelical station. I'll get a free ride to heaven. Mm -hmm. But what if... The story is bigger than that. What if the story is more powerful, more impacting, more life-transforming than that? What if the story is so powerful that all creation is moaning in expectation of the manifestation of the sons of God? waiting for this sleeping giant known as the church to wake up from the slumber of our small stories into the larger dialogue of God where his glory covers the earth like the waters cover the seas. And we're not just along for the ride, waiting for a future day, but we are at work with the king, at work with the king, Redeeming humanity, restoring creation, and undoing the works of darkness until the Son himself arises in our midst to establish his kingdom on the planet Earth where we will rule and reign with him forever. 
Listen to Revelation 5, 9, and 10. And they sang a new song. It's, it's a new song. It's not something that's been in the church all along. It's a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Wow. The big story. The big story. You ransomed people, and you've made them a kingdom. So I want to give you another one accord assignment to add to your daily prayers. I'm going to ask you between now and Easter to read the Gospel of Mark. Now, I I chose the Gospel of Mark because it's just the shortest gospel. You can read all four of them if you like. Now, what I don't want you to do, I don't want you to read it Yo, break it down. Well, if I read so many verses a day, you know, I've got 14 days to read it. And so, you know, you're focused on how much you're going to read within a certain framework of time. Read it like the big story. You know, read chapters at a time. Read the whole book of Mark all at once. Sit down for an hour and read the book of Mark and say, wow, did he say what? He did what? What would that be like? Wow, can you imagine sitting there and Jesus reaching out and, you know, putting mud in my eyes and all of a sudden I could see? I mean, become part of the story. Experience what it might have sounded like to, you know, be sitting uh, outside the synagogue at Capernaum and Jesus saying, you know, if you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. What would I do? What would I do with that? Yo, John 666, right? Do you know what it says? Many of his disciples left and followed him no more. See, it was, it was a traumatic statement. If you want to follow me, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Yeah, we look at the communion cup and we understand it. And we look back and say, oh, they, they missed it. I would have missed it. I said, what are you, crazy? I'm not going to do that. You know, they, they had no context to put that in. How, how would it be to experience that? How would it be to become part of that larger story of that moment? What would it do to your life? And there's so much revealed in the Gospels. You know, the Gospels are not the Gospel. The Gospels are the story where the Gospel is being proclaimed. There's a story within the story that gives you the big picture, the large story, and we miss it because we use these terms and we read the Gospels and we think we're reading the Gospel. We don't get it. So I'm going to challenge you with that. Yo, if all you can do is the book of Mark, put yourself in it. Become part of it. Listen to the Lord. Lord, what's that mean? What's that mean for me now? How can that affect my life? Speak to me, Lord. Meditate on the verse. You know, meditate on the experience, the storyline, or, or what happened to that individual. What would that be like if that was me? If 
I had been lying by some pool for 38 years waiting for a healing, and suddenly Jesus comes along and I'm healed, what would I do? How would I act? What would I, that experience be like for me? How would it affect my family? Get the bigger story into your soul. Then when your friends say, hey, tell me about church. Church, never mind church. I got a story for you. (laughs) I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. I want to tell you there's good news. The king is coming. He's already established his kingdom, and there's a work to do. You want to change life? Step into mine. Step into this kingdom that I belong to, and there'll be experiences that you could never have out there where you are. I want to invite you into a bigger life, a bigger story, a bigger power. Never mind, pray this little prayer and hang on. Pray the prayer, come on in, and let's go conquer the world. We're following a great and mighty king, and his glory is going to fill the whole earth. It's a bigger story. It'll unite us. It'll bring us together.